Well, this morning, we're going to be beginning a short break from our series in Genesis to do a short series on a topic of great importance, biblical parenting. Nathan Dowd, one of our pastoral trainees, started us down this uh, path a couple of weeks ago with a great sermon on children honoring and obeying your parents. And what I want to do in this particular series, if you think of Nathan's sermon like a gemstone, I want to build out and provide the goal setting for that gemstone. So I'm going to get us started today. Next week we will have a special solo sermon from another of our pastoral trainees, and that is Josiah Helsel. And then we will pick back up and finish this biblical parenting uh, series. School is about to start, so these kind of things are on the minds of parents. And of course, Scripture always holds this on our minds, even as it does Christian marriage and Christian family, because this is so much where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And so for this morning... I have two sermon texts for you. They're both from 1 Corinthians. The first one is in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. These are the words of God. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. And the second text is in chapter 11 of the same book, verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention where you turn our attention, as soon as you bring our faces to you as parents, then you send our faces down to look at the children whom you have entrusted to us. And Lord God, we pray that you would teach us and enable us to follow your example and how you parent these children. And so we pray now that you would bring about reformation and revival in our midst as you turn our hearts in this direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, biblical parenting is one of those topics which, as I just mentioned, where the rubber really meets the road in the Christian life. Its importance is obvious. And so it's a topic that is addressed throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New. And if you're a parent, you know that it's a lot of work. And so our tendency when we come to this topic is to want to roll our sleeves up and just jump right into the nuts and bolts, the do's and don'ts. But I want us to resist that urge for one sermon so we can consider something that pervades the whole topic in Scripture, and that is glory. The glory of biblical parenting. The work we get, the work of biblical parenting, that part is obvious. We oftentimes overlook the glory. It's so easy to overlook, and yet it's vitally important Because number one, it helps us to understand the why of biblical parenting. Why did God do it this way? Second, it helps us to understand the trunk of the tree, so to speak, 
on which all the various leaves and the branches, all those details of parenting hang. It helps us to understand what ties everything together. And third, remembering the glory of biblical parenting is one of the best medicines that we can have to pick us up, parents, when we are tempted to grow weary and discouraged. So let's spend a few minutes today looking at the glory of biblical parenting. Well, Genesis tells us that in the beginning, before the fall and before sin ever entered the world, God created one man, one woman. He joined them together in marriage. So as soon as God brings Eve to Adam, he starts referring to her as Adam's wife. And then... God blesses them, and part of that blessing was calling them to be fruitful and multiply, and to fill the earth and to subdue it, Genesis 1.28. So you see that from the beginning, having and raising children was an integral part of God's blessing and calling to Adam and Eve. It was an integral part of man ruling over the earth developing the earth, bringing the earth and mankind to full fruition and glory. And after the fall, even after the wickedness which led to the great flood of Noah, we see God once again blessing Noah the same way and reiterating the same command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, Genesis 9.1. Thus showing us that God's blessing and purposes had not changed. And that He would restore them through His plan of redemption. And that in the meantime, God's people were to be undeterred. They were to trust in Him. They were to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, we have what Jesus calls the greatest of all commandments, the commandment that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus discusses that in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. And it's interesting that when, when this greatest of all commandments is given, when our greatest of all duties is stated, to love the God who has created us and given so much to us, to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, it immediately follows without a break to the following. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The Word of God shall flow out of you like a spring, and your children shall come up immersed in it, and therefore in the love of God. In other words, the immediate effect of loving God with all your heart is loving your children and wanting them to love God with all their heart. That's the immediate, inescapable effect of loving God with all your heart. And it's the same thing in the other direction for the children. God makes honoring parents 
the pathway for honoring him. For children, the pathway to honoring God is honoring their parents. And that is God's own way. Ephesians 6, 2, Paul quotes the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This is the pathway to life and blessing. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. God's own way of bringing children to know Him and to be under His blessing is them honoring their parents unto the Lord. So we should not be surprised then that when God tells Israel in the book of Malachi that the sign of the people who have been made ready for Jesus the Messiah, the sign that always accompanies God-given revival, is that the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children and the hearts of the children will be turned to their fathers. Luke 1.17, quoting Malachi 4.6. Do you want revival? Do you think we need revival today? If you're paying attention at all, you know that more than anything else, not just us, our entire nation, the world, is in desperate need of revival today. What will be the sign if God grants such a revival? I can tell you one of them. The hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children. And the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers. Now what we need to realize is that God did not have to do it this way. God did not have to start with one man and one woman join them together in marriage, have them bear a child one at a time with nine months of gestation and 20 years of raising. That's the way it would have been even had there been no fall. God did not have to do it that way. He could have made us like He made the angels all at once, fully glorious, fully developed, No marriage, no procreation, no parenting. But God in a perfect world did it this way. One at a time. Mother, father, husband, wife. And the question is, why did God do it this way? So slow, so painstaking. Why did He take all the extra time and trouble? And the answer in short is, for us. For us and our children. Because one of the things that we see throughout Scripture, and Paul brings it to a head in Ephesians chapter 3, when he talks about God fulfilling His purposes in Christ toward us, when he talks about us in, in Christ, looking at the cross of Christ and there being able to see the one place where we can see the full height, depth, length, and breadth of the love of God. I mean, what he's saying is that, look, if you just by looking at creation, making us in His own image, setting us over the creation and so forth, 
in creation, we're already swimming in the love of God. The love of God is everywhere toward us. And what he's telling us is, yes, that's true. You're already swimming in the love of God. But that's not the full extent of the love of God. That's not the full height, depth, length, and breadth. You can only see that at one place. And that's at the cross of Christ. And we start to see these deep, deep, deep purposes of God that go even beyond in the cross of Christ, go beyond simply securing forgiveness for our sins. And we start to realize that everything that God has done in this entire creation has always been toward the end that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. You would... We can never know God exhaustively because He's infinite, we're finite. But we can know Him truly. You can be truly conformed to His image. You can be all that it means to be a son or daughter of God, being filled up with all His fullness. That's the goal. That's always been the goal. For everything God has done. And part of that is choosing to do it One man, one woman, married, procreation, bearing one child at a time, nine months of pregnancy, 20 years of raising for us. Because with biblical parenting, we are able to, just like with marriage, we are able to not just hear about God's ways and God's love, we are able to participate and share in God's work, God's kingdom, God's warfare, God's character, God's joy, and God's glory. All for our sakes and our children's sakes did God do it this way. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about the glory of biblical parenting. So let's look at some of the specific facets. Let's start with the biblical parenting process itself, and let's look at the heart of it. And that's what we find in our two texts from 1 Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians were a congregation with lots of potential, but also lots of issues, just like many children. The Corinthian congregation, they had intelligence and knowledge and giftedness for which Paul praised them. But they were also proud, cliquish, worldly, stubborn, and rebellious. You might even call them a brat church or perhaps a rebellious adolescent church. And we see Paul acting as their spiritual father. He instructs them. He corrects them. He admonishes them. At one point, it even threatens to come to them with a rod. 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 21. But in and through it all, the heart of Paul's spiritual parenting is what he tells them in our two texts. 1 Corinthians 4, 15. Though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You have to remember, the Corinthians were proud and cliquish. They preferred teachers other than Paul who were more polished and frankly were better looking. They were better orators. 
And Paul points out to them, well, you may have 10,000 teachers in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Because in the providence of God, He begot you through the gospel that I preached. And therefore, because I am your spiritual father, I urge you, verse 16, imitate me. And then he builds on that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So let's break this down so we can see the significance of what Paul is saying. We, as images of God, are supposed to imitate our heavenly Father. Ephesians 5 verse 1. Be imitators of God as dear children. That's the essence of what it means to be a child. To be an imitator. Who are you supposed to imitate as a child? That's what your father and mother are there. How do you know that you're imitating the right thing through imitating them? Because they're imitating Christ. They also are children of God. Now this is one of Jesus' main themes in the Sermon on the Mount. So for example, he says in Matthew 5, 44 and 45, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And imitating the Father is exactly what we see Jesus, the perfect Son, doing. John 5.19 Jesus said, The Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. And because we have been adopted as sons through Christ into God's family, we are to be imitators of God. Again, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dear children. And to help us imitate the Father, we have the one who perfectly imitated Him, Jesus the perfect Son. He is one of us in every way except for sin. And to help us imitate Jesus, we have Paul who, although he was imperfect, was a great apostle and imitator of Christ. And so Paul tells his spiritual children, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You see, it's not enough to just have the right target. Because for us as fallen people, we're just not that good of shots. We can't just look at the target and hit it. We need a sight, a front sight to look through to line up on the target so that we can line in in a better way. That sight is the Lord Jesus in His life. But if we really want to get a bead on the target, we need a rear sight as well. We need a rear sight to line up with the front sight to line up with the target so that we know that we are on target. That's what Paul is giving the Corinthians when he says, imitate me, I'm the rear sight, just as I imitate Christ, that's the front sight. And you line that up on God the Father as He is presented in the Scriptures. That enables us to be on target. It's also the job of Christian parents to their own children. 
In everything you do, parents, you want to be communicating the message, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's parenting in one phrase. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the heart of biblical parenting is imitating God in our parenting so that we can call our children to imitate us in our discipleship. Let me say that again. The heart of biblical parenting is imitating God in our parenting. In the way that we parent, we imitate God because He is the perfect parent. He is the perfect Father. So we imitate God in our parenting so that we can call our children to imitate us in our discipleship, in our following. Now this has a couple of aspects to it, a couple of areas of imitation that we will never be able to hide from our children. In other words, as we're calling our children to imitate us, what are going to be the areas of our life that they're really going to be able to see most clearly? Obviously, as they grow older, they will be able to see more and more clearly. But what about when they're little? What areas of life can they see us imitating God? Well, there's two areas of life, two big areas, where they're always going to be able to see our life. They're going to be able to see it clearly. The first is, we are supposed to imitate God in the methodology of how He, as the perfect Father, parents His children. A tremendous amount of Scripture, Old Testament and New, is taken up with either telling us or showing us how God parents His children. Huge amount of material. And the whole way God is saying, imitate me. Imitate me. We want to imitate God in the methodology of how we parent our children. All these questions, what do we do with this? How do we know what standard to set? How do we know what to do here? Well, imitate God. He is the perfect Father, and He has set forth in great detail in the Scriptures exactly how He parents His children. In Hosea 11.1, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God's dealing with Israel in the Exodus and the Old Testament. God is telling us, is, I'm dealing here with a little son. Pay attention. In Deuteronomy 8.5, Moses tells the people that God has dealt with them as his own son. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. The New Testament picks up on that theme in Galatians chapter 4, also Hebrews chapter 12, saying that God deals with us as his own children and that God's people coming out of Egypt were like little children. He's saying, my children were little when I brought them out of Egypt. You want to know, well, how do you deal with toddlers? How do you deal with little ones? God shows us. Tons of material He shows us. This is how you deal with little ones. The New Testament, with the coming of Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost, that represents God's children coming of age, somewhere around 20. Coming of age. It doesn't mean they have nothing further to learn but it means that they have achieved a milestone. So one of the main areas God has lived out before us 
is in how He, as the perfect Father, has parented His own children. And that is one of the areas, parents, where we must imitate God. If we do not imitate God in parenting, we will end up parenting according to personality and preference. All of our personalities are different. All of our strengths and weaknesses are different. All of our preferences are different. And we're going to be all over the place. We will parent according to personality and preference if we do not imitate God in the way that He raises His children. How to be a parent, what to expect of children, what should be the standards, what methods to use, whether of teaching or correction or discipline. Whatever you're following, whatever approach you're taking here, parents, you're never going to be able to hide that from your children. If you are imitating God, the perfect Father, they will be able to see. And if you are not imitating God, the perfect Father, they will be able to see. You will not be able to hide it from them because it's directed toward them. They can't help but see it. The second area where our imitation will always be exhibited is in the area of general discipleship. That is, walking with God as a son or daughter ourselves. We will never be able to hide that from our children. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul lived out his life of discipleship before his spiritual children. They saw his doctrine. He lists all this. They saw his doctrine. They saw his manner of life. They saw his purpose. They saw his faith. They saw his long-suffering and his love and his perseverance and all the hardships and persecutions that he went through and all the afflictions and how God delivered him out of them all, how God was faithful always. Paul says, I have lived all of that out in front of you. That's the way it's supposed to work. Indeed, we see this pattern with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus. John 5.20, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. The Father doesn't have two lives going on. He doesn't have one life presented uh, that's phony, presented to His Son, and then another secret life that's a different way. No, the Father lives out His life in front of the Son. That's what Jesus is saying. And that is what we are to do for our children. So, the Christian life Faith, love for God is not something that is simply taught. It is something that is lived out. In response, Jesus said, Whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. That's the way it's supposed to work. So the Christian home is not just a place of religious instruction. It is a place where love for God and His Word, which are exhibited through imitation of God, is modeled and further imitated. Because you have different levels of children within the home, starting with us. 
God may entrust children to us, but that doesn't change the fact that we continue to be children of God, parents. God is working with you as a child through the children He has given to you just as much as He is working with your children through you. God works in all directions all the time. God works in all directions all the time. So parents, Christian parents, if you're going to imitate God, you don't just say, obey God. You model obedience. You imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. You imitate other godly examples and other godly Christians that God has placed in your life. To be a Christian parent, an imitator of God, you can't just say, trust God. You must model trust, imitating the Lord Jesus and so forth, and on down the line with every single Christian trait, duty, and fruit. You live out your life in front of your children. We often hear the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. And we know how much that's true. If you've ever tried to put something together following some assembly instructions, if it has any complexity to it, You know how frustrating it is if you've got all those instructions and you don't get a picture. You don't get a picture of how it all goes together and what it looks like. makes it so much more difficult. That's the way it is in life as well. Parents, you're the picture. You're the picture that comes with the instructions. You're the picture in front of your children. And we need to realize that this is not some make-do, plan B, some patchwork approach for a fallen world. This was God's own approach from the beginning. This is the way it would have been done even in a perfect world with no fall and no sin. That is glorious. That God would involve us so integrally in bringing the children He has given to us to know and walk with Him. That God, even in a perfect world, would teach little ones to believe Him by believing their parents. That God would teach little ones to honor Him by honoring their parents. That God would teach little ones to love Him by loving their parents. And to walk with and joy and imitate Him by walking with, enjoying, and imitating their parents. And through this process of parenting and discipling the little ones God has given to us, God is at the same time parenting and discipling us. And He uses our duties toward our children as an important part of that process. As Christian parents, we are never just parents. We're also children. And God is parenting and discipling us just as much as we are our children. And God is using our children to mature us, although in a different way, just as much as He's using us to mature our children. Now let me close this morning by addressing perhaps the most common doubt that arises within us as Christian parents. And it basically boils down to this. 
I don't think I'm up to this. <laughs> what's plan B? I don't think I'm up to this. I have what's plan B? Well, I have really good news for you, although this may sound like bad news, depending on your frame of mind, but it's actually really good news. The, the good news is this. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. <laughs> you are God's plan. You are God's program. That's why he entrusted the children to you. Think about it. Dad, mom, you're supposed to be walking with God anyway. Your children are just an extra opportunity, an extra incentive, and an extra reward for doing what you're supposed to do anyway. And there is no magic spell, there's no silver bullet to magically produce godly maturity in your children apart from you living out, as Paul would say, doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance in the midst of hardship and afflictions, showing your children how faithful the Lord is. That's God's own way. There's no 10-step program that you can implement that's magic. There's no magical church you can become a member of. There's no magical program in a church that you can enroll your children in. There's no magical school that you can put your children in or write a check to that is going to bypass your integral role in this so that your children magically turn out wonderfully. There's no such thing. You are God's program. God committed the children He gave you to you. All of these other things now can be support, buttressing, tools, encouragements, and you should avail yourselves of them certainly. But you cannot avoid the vital role that God has privileged, privileged you with without leaving a big empty hole in your children. Here's another piece of uh, encouragement. Perfection is not required. Only genuine discipleship. Perfection is not required. It's not even possible. Only genuine discipleship. Paul, we've been using him as an example. Paul was not perfect. Paul did not display some magical showcase victorious Christian life before his spiritual children. He had a hard, difficult life. And from different historical accounts we can read, he was short and bow-legged and bald and didn't have a great voice. And all of these, in other words, if we were advising Jesus... We would have told Jesus, uh, not him. Let him be on your research team. That would be great. Just don't let him be a front man. You know, well, Jesus, he knows what he is doing. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. He said, I think God has displayed us, us apostles, as men like condemned to death. He said, we've been made a spectacle to the whole world, both to angels and men. 
We're like fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You're distinguished, but we are dishonored. Paul wasn't perfect. Mary and Joseph were not perfect. They were fallen like us. And yet God placed His only begotten Son in their home under their authority, under their teaching, and under their example. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, learned the Bible at their knees. He learned to talk from them. Even for Jesus, the pathway to honoring His heavenly Father was through honoring His fallen imperfect mom and dad. Again, perfection is not required or expected, only genuine discipleship. That is, sincere trust and obedience, followed by inevitable falling short, followed by confession and repentance, and renewed trust and obedience. That's genuine discipleship. That's what it is. If that's what you live out before your children, parents, not perfection, but genuine discipleship, then that is what you're going to reap. Paul Tripp put it well in his book, Age of Opportunity, and I quote him here, Living consistently with the faith does not mean living perfectly, but living in a way that reveals that God and His Word are the most important things to you. Such a parent can honor God even in his failure with his humility in confession and his determination to change, to repent. Remember what Paul said, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6 verse 7. In other words, whatever area of life we're looking at, whether it's children or a business or something else, whatever crop is coming up is the same seed that was sown in the ground months before. Parents, you are not going to be sowing perfection with your children. It's not even possible. But if you live out genuine discipleship, even in your failures, then genuine discipleship is what you are sowing and it is what you and your children are going to reap. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.